0: Welcome back to the People Planet Prosperity Podcast, hosted by Young Canadians for Resources and Canada Action. Welcome to the People Planet Prosperity Podcast. We're joined today by Jeff Irvine from the Lobster Council of Canada. Welcome, Jeff. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. So, for our listeners, would you mind just giving a quick introduction of who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. Uh, great to be here, Sean. Um, so, my name is Jeff Irvin, I'm the Executive Director of the Lobster Council of Canada. And the Lobster Council is made up of uh, volunteer companies and associations and harvester groups and First Nations and people involved in the lobster value chain who, um, who want to work together. And um, our focus is the market. So we, we spend our time uh, promoting and marketing Canadian lobster to the world. Um, we also work on uh, advocating and working with uh, stakeholders and governments on market access challenges, things that keep our lobster out of markets around the world. And the last sort of core part of what we do is we, we provide market intelligence to everybody uh, in our membership. So, so harvesters, fishermen from all over the region uh, know the, as much about the market as the uh, exporters, processors and shippers. Uh, and the shippers and processors also know about fishing situ- conditions and challenges that the harvesters have. So it's really a, a big tent where um, we try to ensure that everybody knows what's happening to to uh, increase sort of understanding about about who does what in the value chain and 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 how it all works comes together.
0: Okay, well, thanks for that explanation. Um, I'd love to know how did you get into that into this position today, and what's been kind of the backstory.
1: Oh, sure. Well, I mean, for me, um, I spent most of my career selling seafood. Uh, I had a seafood trading company. I've worked in the offshore shrimp industry in Canada. I worked in the lobster business in Canada at the beginning of my career. Um, I had my own trading company. Um, and I also spent four years working at, at Acadia University. So I got some, uh, some good experience in sort of governance and working with a board. And so it's, it's kind of a natural fit that I, that I came into this role 13 years ago. Um, just a good background in seafood, fish and seafood, and a good background in how to make organizations uh, work and, and, and uh, sort of foster collaboration.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, one thing I love to ask every guest we have on the podcast is why does this resource matter to you on a personal level? And why does the work that you do matter to you?
1: Oh, great question. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, um, I was born in Quebec, but I came out here when I was two years old. And I grew up in Digby County, which is a rural part of Nova Scotia, um, where all my friends uh, and everyone that I knew uh, were fishermen or, or fishermen's families. Um, and, and I've traveled extensively around all five eastern provinces. And um, this, it's it, these types of resources, the lobster resource in Canada. Um, feel very proud to work I- inside the industry. Um, it's an iconic uh, product that comes from Eastern Canada. Um, very proud of the work we do and the value that we bring, uh, to literally hundreds of small communities. So without today, without the lobster sector, there would be hundreds of small communities in Eastern Canada that would, um, be show far less economic activity. Uh, people would be leaving them in droves as they have in the in our history, and gone, and many many people have gone to Alberta, for example. But now people can stay in the east and have a very successful career in in fish and seafood, specifically lobster. So I'm, I'm very proud to do this work, and uh, because I know it helps literally thousands of uh, communities and and hundreds of thousands of people.
0: Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things we love to show at uh, Young Canadians Resources. Is- is that behind every resource, there's a lot of families and there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of lives you don't get to see that really depend on these resources. So to dive a little bit more into the lobster side of things, and we'll we'll take a step back here. What's kind of the history of the lobster industry in Canada? Um, How has it changed maybe over the years and kind of where are we at now with the practices and techniques and just the scope of the industry?
1: I'll need a lot more time than you have for me, Sean. But I'll, I'll give it. A, I'll, I'll try to do a quick snapshot. So we've been we've been fishing lobster for uh, over a hundred years. Um, the, the fishing side of the business has evolved quite dramatically from sort of small open boats with homemade traps to what are now much larger uh, boats with um, recycle with um, seawater holds where you can go out for a couple of days. Um, but the industry has evolved from from really uh, catching and selling live lobster only Um, and typically in the past uh, way back uh, lobster would have been sent in in ships to boston to be distributed around america and north america but now uh, now our industry is live lobster that is air freighted around the world through halifax airport moncton airport toronto montreal and from new england Um, that's the live side but now over half of our export value is in processed lobster so frozen lobster tails, uh, lobster meat that you could you could get in a lobster sandwich, whole cooked and whole frozen lobster, whole raw. Um, so it's a, it's about 50/50 processed and 50% live. Um, and the industry has evolved from from those sort of open boats to bigger boats and 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 dozens and dozens of uh, processing factories all around the community, holding facilities where we hold lobster in in, when it's out of season, um, and it's uh, it's literally uh, Atlantic Canada's top export value product is is lobster in some sort of a form. So it's uh, a very big evolution. Um, uh, I mean, there's a whole history around freezing and uh, cold pack and hot pack freezing, which is interesting, uh, which allowed us to freeze lobster and, and preserve lobster in a, a way we could ship it. Uh, but nowadays, it's uh, very modern freezing techniques and 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 shipping live lobster and very modern shipping methods. Um, so we uh, we supply about 50 countries around the world, and the export value in 2020. Well, it, our, our biggest year in recent history was 2021, where we exported over three billion dollars worth of lobster to the world. So that's a quick quick snapshot. It's an ancient industry. It's it's well regulated. Um, provincially and federally to ensure that uh, there's it isn't uh, taken over by, by large corporations that will uh, leave these small communities um, uh, without without the resource. So there are federal regulations around that that are very effective and that the fishermen um, maintain. Um, and um, so a lot, lots of good good rules to keep it uh, to keep the the wealth spread evenly around the region.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for that snapshot. It's quite insightful. Um, I want to zero in on something you kind of mentioned about the regulations that ensure that the industry isn't dominated by like large fishing corporations. Why is it important that there is support for those small scale uh, fishermen and women who, who operate in the industry?
1: Sure. Um, well, it's important uh, because if we didn't have those rules in place, uh, as we've seen in, in BC, as, we, as we've seen all around the world, when fishing licenses are available they get purchased by companies because companies want to vertically integrate i can't blame them i worked for large companies that wanted wanted to vertically integrate too so if you if you control the fishing and the production and the selling you control the whole value chain but that that that's meant in bc specifically that uh, there is no longer a small boat fishery like it like it is out here so uh, one or two large companies own the majority of the, of the British Columbia fishing sector. We, that's not possible out here. We have the, um, the fleet separation policy, which is a federal policy, and the owner operator policy. So that means that a person like you or I, uh, we, we can only own one one ship fishing license and we have to fish it with our own boat in a specific uh, lobster fishing area. And we're not allowed to we're allowed to come together and make a company, but companies can't come and buy you and I um, and and amalgamate a bunch of different licenses. So uh, those those are the two policies: the owner operator and the fleet separation. And the fleet separation policy is uh, says that companies are not allowed to buy fishing licenses. So it and what it does is it, it just as I said earlier, it, it keeps these uh, hundreds of communities alive and uh, active, and um, money coming into them, rather than those uh, licenses all being bought up by a big company.
0: So definitely the current regulatory framework very much distributes the profits among a wider range of people than might otherwise be possible with a different system. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Well, it's I think it's an interesting point to kind of look at that, uh, that balancing trade off between like the larger corporations, which often bring like higher capital, uh, larger ability to invest as well as the small scale fisheries, which have operated many times for generations, et cetera. Um, And maybe to continue off on a slight tangent to that, how do, in terms of balance, like talking about balance, how do you balance the need of Canadians to make a livelihood that uh, today and the long-term need to protect the lobster species and surrounding ecosystem?
1: No, great question. Um, So it's it's fascinating uh, over these really centuries, but uh, more recent decades, it's the harvesters themselves who have brought in uh, uh, measures to ensure that the lobster stock remains sustainable. Um, Because they know if they catch all the lobsters this year, they won't have them for next year. So they've brought in, in in conjunction with uh, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, the federal department, many, many different measures um, around uh, small lobsters, um, throwing back females that have eggs showing um, minimum sizes, um, all kinds of different measures through the years that have to made sure, ensured that the lobster stock is sustainable. Uh, plus, there are lots of modern fisheries management measures um, that, are, that have been brought in, reference points and, and different things that DFO enforces in conjunction with the harvesters. Um, so, um, essentially, harvesters do these things because they want to ensure their livelihood for the future. And, and for many of them, it's ensuring the livelihood of their, of their kids. A lot of uh, fishing fishing licenses get get bought out by the, the next generation so it's it's really about maintaining that that um, harvesting uh, sort of ethos in the in your family and in your community and so it's um it's worked very well
0: okay so I know you mentioned earlier that you were born in Quebec and then moved when you were two um, out east, but did you have a family connection to the seafood industry prior
1: to that? No, no. My dad was a was a forester. Uh,
0: okay. Oh so no, no. We, uh, another great Canadian resource there.
1: Another great Canadian resource, exactly. So no, I just mm. I just grew up in a fishing uh, community, but I grew up in the tourist industry. Uh, my family owned a, a summer resort, but uh, all my friends were were fishermen, and uh, lots of mostly scallops where I grew up in Digby. Mm-hmm. Um, but lobster has now become just a very very major uh, product. And
0: what would you say is the value of having that intergenerational component to that industry?
1: Oh, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's, it, it really helps ensure that, that the licenses stay where they are. I mean, aside from the policies, if you can pass it down through generations, um, it, I think it ensures that, that it stays as, as, as traditional as possible. Uh, one challenge we've got is that the, these lobster licenses have gone way up in value um they are tradable um, so it's a, it's a it's a it's an asset so it's it's become much more difficult amongst everything else that young people are facing it's difficult to buy a license um, so so fortunately uh, many provinces have uh loan boards that help um and some older harvesters will work out a payment plan with younger people to to buy out their licenses if they agree to keep it in the community. Um, I mean, these people are fa- very fiercely loyal to their place um, and their families and their friends. So uh, it's a really neat part of the story. You, you'll find uh, some licenses that have been passed down for two or three or four generations.
0: That's really cool to hear that. Um... You mentioned an interesting thing about like the price of these licenses getting more expensive over time. And that's something that's a trend that we often see across various resource industries, is that like, especially like farming, for example, right? The price of land gets more expensive over time and it locks young people out. So with that in mind, what what would you say are like the best steps and practices that can work towards making sure that industries like uh, the lobster industry remain accessible to young people going into the future? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I mean, that's a, it's a, it's a tough question because, I mean, it's a free market. Um, and a free market, uh, in a free market, the highest, uh, you know, the uh, assets sell to the highest bidder, um, which doesn't make it accessible. So, um, I, I guess the key thing is to have some type of, uh, government sponsored loan board that provides lower, um, cost loans, which, uh, I think is important, um, things like that. But, um, but in a purely sort of economic uh, free market situation, it, it's very challenging, and I'm, I'm, it's it's it is very tough for people uh, because even though you may pay a million dollars for the license, um, we've you know you're not guaranteed until you go fishing. You have zero income, and if something happens to impact your fishing, like a hurricane or a flood or a, a pandemic, um, you know. You're, you're in a very precarious situation when you don't know how, how your revenue is going to come. And we've seen all three of those things in the last uh, you know, two years. Um, and the other thing that's happening is that due to climate change, the lobsters are moving north very slowly. So the, where the catches are happening is changing. And so some young harvesters who have bought those very expensive licenses are finding that the resource that they've been fishing is moving somewhere else. And, uh, and that's happening today. And that's a real, a real challenge. So there's lots of risks, lots of worries in some parts of the area right now. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: it sounds like that. And certainly it's been a tough couple of years. But getting into like that more long-term uh, conversation about like changing climate patterns, um, what are the threats that climate change does pose to the lobster industry, maybe in a bit more detail than what you've mentioned before?
1: Sure. Well, well the, the bit, there, are, there are several. I mean, uh, last September, Hurricane Fiona ripped through here and uh, destroyed a number of fishing wharfs, all, all kinds of uh, damage to the shoreside infrastructure in PEI and Cape Breton and Newfoundland. Um, but it also, um, we saw some impacts, some, some indication of it this spring, that it, it, it churned up the bottom. And we, we saw a lot of damaged lobster uh, from that hurricane, just that very specific hurricane. But um, so aside from that, it's it's really the warming waters. I mean, we are seeing the uh, the ocean temperatures here escalate dramatically quickly. Uh, we've always known that they've been going up, but the the, the rapid climate change impacts are really startling. Um, so you're seeing massive lobster landings in Newfoundland and in the Gaspé Peninsula of Quebec and in Cape Breton in the north. And you're seeing dramatically lower landings, volumes in uh, Grand Manan, in the Bay of Fundy, off of Yarmouth in Nova Scotia. Um, and, and, that, and that's a trend that we've seen from America, where the lobsters have left the southern part of the zone. Rhode Island, New York used to have lobster fisheries. Now they have none. Um, southern Maine, the, the lobsters are, uh, are disappearing. So uh, it's, it's affected the resource as, as the resource moves north to find colder water. And it's being impacted by these storms, um, and I mean we we had these we had these crazy fires. I'm, I'm sure you heard about it uh, earlier this summer, uh, that have accelerated by climate change. Very very dry woods that destroyed sixty homes um, in Southwest Nova. Many of them uh, harvesters' homes. Uh, it did threaten one one uh, one or two plants. So we've had a, a crazy year of impacts, and if you when you have those types of uh, weather events they do impact uh, our industry but the biggest one is warming water temperatures
0: Mm -hmm. no that that certainly sounds like cause for concern and and on that note then like when you look at the long-term future of the lobster industry in canada um and let's say we have a young canadian listening who maybe is uh from a family that's been involved in the seafood industry or is looking to get into it are you optimistic about the future
1: oh i mean absolutely um um you know, I, I mean, I'm 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 cautiously optimistic. Uh, it, it's going to impact people differently in different parts of the region. Um, um, it's going to change where the lobster comes from, but um, it'll be over time. And I'm hoping that we can slow that. We can slow the warming with 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 what the actions of of us us humans. Uh, it's it's in our uh, it's in our hands to uh, to slow down these these changes. So I'm optimistic we can do it um, but I'm also optimistic that people will adapt they always have um, but it's going to change the industry and it may not be in my lifetime but uh, where the lobster comes from will change and those who are fishing it and processing it and storing it and shipping it and selling it will have to adapt um, but uh, but it's still a it's still a very vibrant resource. Uh, the other other interesting thing about fishing. The fishing industry is that um, if something changes to one species that you're harvesting, you can switch to another one. Uh, if you know, you have to buy licenses, maybe get some different gear. But uh, people out here have been very resilient. Um, many of the people who are fishing lobster now uh, would have been, been very busy fishing cod before we, we completely wiped out the cod stock um, in that was closed. The moratorium um, took effect in 1992, I think. So, 30 years ago. A lot of these same people were fishing cod so they've, they've evolved to fishing lobster um, and other parts of the year they fish herring or they fish mackerel or they fish scallops so i mean the harvesting side it, people are very resilient um, and the shore side where plants have to buy the product and process it or do something with it they're resilient um, our government is uh our, our fishing associations are, are very good at advocating for themselves with uh, with folks who make the decisions on what to support uh, in Ottawa and, and, and provincially. So, um, so I'm, I am optimistic, but we are going to see changes. Okay. Well, I'm
0: glad to hear that. And it's, it's, it's cool to hear, or it's important to hear that, that resiliency that exists in that community. Um, on your website, you mentioned that, and I'll just, I'll just quote from the website for a moment here our long history of regulation, our focus on the health of our ocean ecosystem and our integrity makes us the world's leader in sustainable fishery management. Now, obviously you mentioned just a moment earlier, um, how perhaps when it came to like the cod industry, best practices have not always been followed. So what would you say is it about this industry that makes it a, well, that the world's leader in sustainable fishery management and mm. the practices that avoid Errors that have been done in the past.
1: Well, I think we learned a harsh lesson from what happened with cod. Um, there's lots of reasons why the cod stock disappeared. Uh, it was um, aggressively harvested by non-Canadians before we had a 200-mile a limit. It was aggressively harvested by Canadians who uh, weren't properly regulated, um, and there were there were natural things that happened that. that cause the cod to uh, to disappear. Um, in lobster, and in indeed in, in most, in, in all Canadian resources, as far as I know, I mean, I know lobster the best. Um, the harvesters and the regulators work very closely to ensure that that won't happen again. Um, and modern fisheries management, I think, is much more robust maybe than it was 30 years ago. Uh, we have rules in place. If, if the stock uh, goes down by a certain amount, um, uh, the, the harvesters are compelled to, to bring in measures that will slow down the fishing effort, remove fishing effort, uh, change the effort to let the stock rebuild. Um, we have the Species at Risk Act in Canada that, that where the, where the, the government, the Minister of Fisheries, is is compelled by law to protect species that are are found to be at risk. So we have a number of uh, species that are on that Species at Risk list. Um, So, uh, I I think today, thirty years later, after the cod moratorium, that there are much more robust measures in place to ensure that that won't happen again. Um, I think that it was. I think I've I've read a lot of lot of a lot about the cod collapse, and I used to sell cod, and it really was a tragedy of the commons where uh, everybody thought they were looking after it, but nobody was. Um, But I think in lobster, uh, we have nine thousand inshore licenses, so that's nine thousand individual captains. Who are responsible for their own boat, and who are responsible for their own income? That's nine thousand, um, and we have hundreds and hundreds of uh, independent businesses that buy that product, um, and we have you know thousands of community members who are uh, who rely on it. So I think we're just in a much better place. Um, we have international sustainability standards that we have to uh, adhere to. The Marine Stewardship Council is who we work with uh, to uh, as a third party sustainability program the little blue fish and um, about 90% of canadian lobster is uh, is under that MSC program Marine Stewardship Council which is an eco certification and we and we are very proud of that and we work very hard to keep that and that tells our customers around the world that our lobster is sustainable and and there were many many different parts of that that, that we have to have to have a, a, a strong grade in when, when we get evaluated every year. So I think we're in a much different place than we were 30 years ago. And uh, I don't see that changing.
0: Okay, well, thank you. And that's, that's reassuring to hear. It's cool how the industry has developed over time, right? One of the, one of the big things we like to address um, as an organization is that Canada's resources and industries have a massive capacity for resiliency and for innovation. And they show that across the board, uh, just like you've been describing. So we've been talking a lot about ecosystems and environment, but I want to get a little bit into the balancing human stakeholder interests. Um, And insofar as you can speak to this, obviously, I think it was in 2020, there was a lobster dispute which arose in Nova Scotia um, regarding licensing and uh, indigenous and non-indigenous access to the lobster industry. So maybe, like, what what kind of fell apart there, and what steps can be taken in the future to avoid that sort of situation from rising? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's a that's a great point. Um, what fell apart there is a is a good question. I think, uh, from my perspective, and I'm not an expert in this field, although we're involved in in some different ways in in supporting reconciliation and and sharing of the resource. It's not our primary focus, but. Um, i think it's like anything um uh, when 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 one group feels that another group are trying to get a um, take something from them they are suspicious and they're cautious and and the uh, the, moder- the moderate livelihood fisheries that have um that is the rights based fishery and the food social and ceremonial fisheries that the first nations are are um are enacting um it scares some of the more traditional harvesters and, uh, that's, I think what happened is you saw people scared for the, the, the future livelihood and they took it out uh, with violence. And unfortunately what happened in 2020. Um, so uh, since then, um, we've seen a lot more, um, uh, working together, collaboration, uh, more, uh, support from, from governments and people within the industry to, to, um, to try to work together. Uh, we're involved in it in a, in a couple different ways, um, so I I feel like we're uh, making some progress. But I think uh, when when you're talking about high value products like lobster, like some other seafood products, people are people just very quite naturally um, we're concerned about their future. Um, but I think as we as as it evolves and people understand more about the um, the rights based nature of these fisheries. Um, and the fact that um, we need to share the resource with everybody um, I think we're making some progress, but it's not it's not easy and uh I think uh we still have a lot of work to do in understanding each other and uh walking that path to reconciliation together and uh I've learned a lot myself, and I know that our members have learned a lot and um I, i'm I'm certain that we'll keep improving the uh, the communication and avoid those things like what happened in 2020.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and obviously, again, any sort of balancing disputes, these are quite uh, well, it's not unknown across resource industries to face these sorts of issues. Um, And from your experience, then in those discussions, what would you say are some steps going forwards? Uh, Some generic principles that can be drawn out of that situation uh, for moving forwards in the future, whether it's in this industry or any other industry where disputes like that emerge?
1: Well, sure. Uh well, I mean, again, it's it's not our primary focus, and I'm not an expert, but I'm but in the the, the things that the times I've been involved in, in in sort of First Nation and and more tr- more sort of traditional um, harvesters, um, it's really about understanding each other and communicating, and um, and that's the same in any sort of relationship or or business. It's really understanding each other, sitting down. Uh, talking through the issue. And I I think we've seen that. Um, It's very easy to to hire lawyers and to hire uh, um, communications people to help to to push your uh, agenda. And that certainly happens. But certainly for me, uh, from what I've experienced, if we're we're going to reconcile and work together, we have to understand each other and listen to each other. So that's what I've been doing. I do a lot of listening and uh, and try to balance everybody's sort of position and it's hard. I mean it's you you in the west have been doing this for a lot longer than we have. I I feel like in Alberta and BC and in Saskatchewan, and Manitoba and in the north there's been a lot more history of of collaborating with resource sharing um, and it's it's relatively newer out here. So we're we're looking to some of your successes there and trying to trying to figure out how we can can can, can do it a lot better but it's it's tough
0: okay well 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 said there um, just as we wrap up uh, one last question so again Canada is a big wide country and many of us have no exposure to uh, this industry beyond seeing it at the supermarket so what do you want young Canadians to take away from this conversation about the lobster industry
1: oh. Well, I think young Canadians need to know that it's a it's a it's a wonderful industry. Um, you know, if you come to the East Coast, make sure you uh, eat some lobster. And even you don't have to just eat it here; eat it wherever you are. You can find frozen and live lobster everywhere. But I guess uh, when you when you do eat it, when you do think about it, um, think about all the people that are are impacted positively by by your buying that product. Uh, you can feel good about buying it because we we do look after the resource. Um, and we do everything we need to do to keep it there for future generations. Uh, We're fiercely proud of it. Um, We work hard, and people in this industry work their butts off, Um, and and we're proud of it. So, and and there's huge opportunities. I mean, for young people, we've got opportunities in not just harvesting and processing and shipping in the plants and on the boats, but in marketing and international uh, trade development uh, and transportation. In digital marketing, you know I mean the sky's the limit if you're adventurous and you' and you want to come out and learn something completely out of your traditional wheelhouse, uh, come on out here and work in a lobster plant for a summer or uh, in the in spring or get on a boat and uh, I think you'll meet some incredible people and you'll learn a lot about yourself and uh, and I think uh, I mean the people who come here from other places I'm always amazed at they don't they don't leave. Uh we, we hook them and we keep them. Um and we need them. We need people. So I, I think that's what I would say. We're very proud of our industry. Uh we'd love you to try it. Um and uh and enjoy it.
0: Sorry, I lost you for a moment.
1: Yeah, no problem. You you went right away.
0: Um, I think we were at. Uh, you were saying, come work at a lobster plant for a summer.
1: Yeah, I think I just was rambling at that point, but I just said, uh, come and come and experience what our industry is like. Uh, I think if, I said if you're adventurous, adventurous, and you're interested in marine biology or in the oceans, uh, there's just massive opportunities um, in our industry.
0: Okay, so a quick follow-up. If I'm a young Canadian who heard what you just said and wants to find out more, what's a good starting point?
1: Oh, well, you're welcome to call me. Um, but um, that's a great question, Sean. Uh, um, who Who is responsible for all that sort of thing? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, call me if you're interested. Uh, I, I can point you in the right direction. There's all kinds of different careers you can get involved in. Um, but otherwise you can speak okay. to, um, I, I don't, I don't, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know who you'd talk to, but, uh, I'm happy to, to, vet, vet your calls.
0: Well, we'll, uh, we'll put some contact info for you and listeners feel free to call Jeff. Jeff, it was a pleasure speaking with you today to our listeners. That was Jeff Irvine with the Lobster Council of Canada. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome, Sean.